Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we're joined by special guest Hannah Stevens, who comes to us from Western Theological Seminary as the Church's Admission Grant Coordinator. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Hannah. Good morning. So, as Rob said, I'm Hannah, and my husband and kids and I, we've been coming consistently to South Harbor since last fall, around September. And we've been hanging out around South Harbor for like three years now. (laughs) Um, And we've just kind of been receiving from all of you. Um, This is right now, this moment, me stepping on stage is like the first time (laughs) that we've given back or I've given back to this church. And I don't know many of you, um, but I want to give just like a particular shout out and thank you to the people who sit over here in the risers on the sides. Um, Because I have three children, eight, uh, 10, eight, and five. And for whatever reason, it is like, takes a ridiculous amount of energy to get out of the door, um, particularly on Sunday mornings. (laughs) So I'm that person that comes in here and the singing is happening or has happened. And all of you are so gracious as you stand up and let me walk by you with my children. There's been no like snide remarks or dirty looks. So um, that grace goes a long way and officially, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. We've, um, we're gonna dive right in. We've been in Matthew. We've been in Matthew for six months. We've got like six more months of Matthew. And I love this. Um, I get the sense that many of you love this too, going into the details and going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and looking at all the things that are happening. Um, however, I also think it's really helpful and necessary to, as we get into the details, to take a step back and make sure we're holding the bigger gospel that Matthew is presenting and really the bigger narrative that scripture is telling us as well. Um, So that we hold these little details and nuances in each of the verses we're studying within this larger context. So I'm gonna take a little bit of time just to talk about where we've been over these last six months. Um, So we started out, I think it was back in January, Pastor Tierra, uh, she kicked us this series off um, with Matthew chapter one. And we looked at the genealogy. We looked at how there's some surprising characters um, that have gotten folded into Jesus's family, Um, some foreigners that have been folded in to Jesus's family. And there's some women named in the genealogy. Um, The other fascinating thing about Jesus's genealogy as Matthew lays it out is it's really impressive. It traces from Abraham and it goes through David and it has this beautiful like 14 generations from Abraham to David and 14 generations from David to exile and 14 generations from the exile to today. And in Matthew laying it out that way, he's making this kind of bold statement about Jesus. Um, He's making a bit of a political statement. Hey, he can trace his line through David. He has a right to be king. Um, He's also 
kind of setting it up as if like, here's the story of the people of Israel coming back from Abraham, and look how perfectly Jesus is set up to be the next chapter of the story of the people of Israel. And then in chapter one, we also have the scandal of Mary's pregnancy and needing Joseph to get on board. Um, And then chapter two, we have a lot happening in chapter two. Mary and Joseph have to go and report for the census. Mary has the baby. Uh, Herod finds out and comes after them, and they escape to Egypt, just like action point after action point. And then Matthew chapter 3, um, now we just, we just blow by a whole bunch of years of Jesus' life, and he's an adult, and we have John the Baptist and Jesus coming to be baptized. And there's this beautiful moment where Jesus comes up out of the water, and there's the dove and the voice from heaven, and that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he immediately gets taken off in Matthew chapter 4, led out into the wilderness to be tested by all that the kingdoms of the earth have to offer. And he passes beautifully. Of course he does. And then Matthew does this really interesting thing. He summarizes what Jesus does, gives us examples of what Jesus does, and then summarizes what Jesus does again. (laughs) So in Matthew, at the end of uh, chapter 4, he sets us up with this verse, 4.23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among them. Thank you, Matthew. That's a great summary. Uh, Could you tell us more? What about those teachings? What type of things was he teaching? Well, wouldn't you know, we have chapters 5, 6, and 7 following this that are just a collection of the things Jesus was teaching. We often refer to this as the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And I know we've talked about this here before, that that's a little misleading because it's not like... Jesus went onto the mountainside, preached this one time, the way they're written out in chapters 5, 6, and 7, and that was it, and Matthew happened to remember it all and wrote it down. Um, he, this is the teachings he was giving everywhere. Matthew just told us. He was going throughout Galilee. He was teaching and saying these things over and over again, and Matthew collects them together to say, this is what it was like to hear Jesus teach. Thank you, Matthew. That's really helpful. What about those healings? What was that like? Well, once you know, we have Matthew 8 and 9, which is basically a collection of healing stories. What did it look like when he, Jesus was going through Galilee healing people? It looked like him moving towards people. It looked like, people, it looked like Jesus touching people who had not been touched because they had a skin disease. It looked like Jesus having compassion on people. It looked like Jesus seeing that people needed more than just physical healing. They needed to hear that they belonged, that their sins were forgiven, and they needed to be restored to their communities. That's what it looked like when Jesus was going around and healing people. And then Matthew, at the end of chapter 9, summarizes this for us again. Do you see this kind of sandwiching that he's doing? 9.35, almost the exact same phrase. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among us. Or disease and sickness. Do you see, he's trying to say like, here's what he was doing, here's what it looked like, here's what he was doing. Jesus, or Matthew is holding Jesus up for us, saying, this is my friend Jesus. 
Here's where he came from. Here's what he was up to. Here's what it was like to travel around with him. These are the type of things he was teaching. These are the type of things he was doing. What do you think of my friend Jesus? The question it begs for us is what do we see when we look at Jesus? And this question is going to become really important right here in the Gospel of Matthew. Because from 10 on, the tension around this question is going to build. Because not everybody sees the same thing when they look at Jesus. Some people give up everything and follow him. And some people are so angry, they want to kill him. And that tension, it's here from the very beginning of Matthew. It's there in the genealogy when Matthew makes the claim that Jesus has a right to be king. It's definitely there when Herod goes after Jesus' family. But here in 10, it starts to build. And Jesus, we get in uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. This is when Jesus sends his disciples out. And he tells them what it's going to be like. I'm sending you, at, you out like sheep among wolves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. I mean, there, there's some tension in that, right? This is the same chapter that Jesus also says, brother will betray brother to death. Father, son to death. Child, parent to death. There's tension about the world around them. And then chapter 11, you remember this? This is when John the Baptist is in prison and he has his disciples go to Jesus and say, hey, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And if you remember when uh, Pastor Tim preached on this, he said, John is basically saying, hey, Jesus, I'm in prison. Are you gonna do anything about it? And if you remember, no, Jesus does not rescue John from prison. That is where he dies. And then we have Matthew chapter 12. And this is just instance after instance. Um, it starts off with the disciples picking wheat on the Sabbath. And the accusation, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. 12-2. 12-9. The Pharisees were looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. This is when they bring the man to him with the crippled hand and say, are you going to heal him on the Sabbath? And then in 12-24, Jesus casts out demons. And the claim that's made about him, it's only by Be Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Do you see this tension that's building here? And of course, Jesus responds to each of these beautifully <laughs> and with such wisdom. And it's one of those things where we just kind of fall in love with Jesus and smirk a little because he's just so clever. But there is a very real battle that's building here. And that brings us to the chapter that we're in now. So we've got all of this going on. Then there's like this pause in chapter 13, and there's six parables. And in chapter 14, Matthew's going to go back and tell us the story of what happens to John in prison, and then it's going to build and build and build until chapter 26 and chapter 27, when Jesus is arrested and killed. That's, that's where our parable sits in this bigger gospel that Matthew is telling us. So what's going on there? It's kind of an odd thing. Like, here's Jesus. What do you think of my friend Jesus? What do you encounter when, when you see Jesus? What do you see when you look at Jesus? 
And now I'm going to tell you a whole bunch of parables. <laughs> and if you remember from last week and the week before, we talked about how these parables are revealing mysteries of the kingdom. And this, the, I know we've been talking about this, but this is crucial for us to get. The Gospel of Matthew is telling us the story of how Jesus establishes God's kingdom on earth. It is crucial that we see this. And the parables are, are getting at the mysteries of what that means, of what God's kingdom on earth is. It's in that summary I was showing you before. Remember, what was Jesus doing? He was going throughout Galilee. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He was teaching and healing. So what, what is the good news of the kingdom of God? What are we talking about here? Well, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the good news of the kingdom of God is about people being blessed that shouldn't be blessed. It's about the people who have no voice, no power, that are hopeless, that have been seen by society as like, you don't have much to offer, that have been disconnected from family and community. And Jesus saying, you actually have a role to play. I'm bringing you on the outskirts to the center. I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to spend time with you. And you are who I'm going to build my kingdom with. The good news of the kingdom of God looks like you've heard it said, but I tell you. And Jesus telling them about a law that they followed for generations and him saying, we're going to take it a step further. We're going to get at the heart of the matter. You've heard it said, do not murder, but I'm telling you, do not even become angry. It looks like Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It looks like turning the other cheek and extending grace to your enemies and going an extra mile. This is the good news of the kingdom of God on earth. So here's my question to you. Who is the kingdom of God particularly good news for? You can just shout it out. I promise we can do this. Who might it be particularly good news for to hear like, hey, the people on the outskirts are being pulled to the center. They have a place. Poor. Widows. Widows. Outcasts. Anyone that the kingdoms of the world have beaten up. Anyone that doesn't have a place of power in the kingdoms of the world. Anyone that's just barely getting by. They lost their ancestral homes to Rome. They don't know where they fit in society. Those are the people that are coming to Jesus in droves. So who is it maybe not as obviously good news for? People of power. Anyone who's doing quite well in the kingdom of the world, who people listen to, who have authority. I mean, Herod is the ultimate example of this, right? He's the king in this kingdom on the world, and he is threatened by Jesus. He does not want anything to change. He doesn't want it to be flipped around. That, that's not, that does not sound like good news to Herod. Now, it's easy enough to talk about those people back then, 2,000 years ago, and how they totally got it wrong. Um, but we also, like, if we believe that this text has something to say to us, we need to talk about us and our kingdoms. And we do not use this language. We do not think of ourselves as building kingdoms. But you and I, 
we are involved in kingdom building, worldly kingdom building. Um, we have our own little things that we're doing. We do it every day. <laughs> we um, fence off our property. We build up and fix up and renovate our homes. We curate our social media image. We perfect our public persona. We store up wealth for ourselves and for our kids. And um, we build our careers. And I need you to hear me say, these are not bad things. The Bible has an invitation into these things. Scripture invites us to be co-creators with God, to build homes, to invest in our communities. That is not the problem. The problem is that you and I, we have a tendency in our kingdom building that we do to look around and think, maybe there's not enough. And we start to turn inward and we start to try and say like, what can I get for me and my people? And sometimes that comes at the expense of someone else. And as more and more people are turning inward and just building their own little thing, and this is happening all over, more and more people get pushed out and lose out in the, this type of kingdom building. And that is not the type of kingdom that Jesus has planned for this world. In God's kingdom, everyone thrives. In God's kingdom, everyone has access. Everyone is able to live. All creation is working for the benefit of one another, is turned outward and caring. Do you feel that tension? If we're followers of Jesus, Jesus is inviting us, and I would say even more strongly, is, is requiring us to say that our kingdoms that we're building need to be under the kingdom of God. They need to submit to the kingdom that God is building. And that does not mean um, that you have to give up everything. That does not mean you have to abandon the homes and the careers and leave it all behind. It does mean that you would if Jesus asked you to. Do you feel this tension? Our relationship to kingdom of the worlds impacts how we respond to that question. What do we see when we look at Jesus? Do we see good news? Or do we feel threatened? So hang on to that. We're going to come back to it. But maybe we should get into our text for today. Um, today we are in chapter 13. And we're looking at another parable about um, farming, about um, uh, you know, sowing seed. We looked at one last week, and as Pastor Tim talked about, um, this is right up the listeners are going to be totally understanding what's happening here. This is talking to them in their context. They are familiar with what it looks like to farm. And here's what our parable today says. So starting in chapter uh, 13, 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. 
The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then we're going to skip down to the explanation of this. The, the two, there's two parables in between, which we're going to look at next week. And then we go down to 47. Oh, wait. No. No, we go down to 36. <laughs> then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their kingdom, in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Anybody else feel just like a little nervous? Like we love Jesus that's like healing the sick and you know, saying the, first, the last will be first, that are, that's reaching out with grace and love and mercy. We love that Jesus. We get really excited about it. The Jesus that's talking about weeping and gnashing of teeth, eh, get a little nervous. I do. I do. Same Jesus, right? Same, same God that desperately wants this world to be as it should be. And this is something we, we have to reckon with. Jesus is intent on restoring creation to how it is meant to be. And there is a challenge in this parable for us that I don't want to sidestep. I think it's there. I, I think if you follow Jesus long enough, he will offend you. <laughs> At some point, he's going to reveal to you the selfishness and pride that you don't want to look at. But I also want to name that you and I, we have associations when we hear things like, uh, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth, or we hear about the devil or hell. You and I, we have these associations with that. It, it draws up images for us that are not from Scripture. We have all this kind of baggage that has been created and has a source outside of Scripture. And I want to name that because I think sometimes we get like caught up in these narratives that are not that helpful. And I would love to spend like a whole bunch of time on this, but we would just never, we'd never be able to answer all the questions on this. Um, so I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to recommend a resource to you if you're interested in this question of like heaven and hell and what's the Bible say about it and like how do I become part of the kingdom of God? The book I'm going to say 
it, you sh it's just phenomenal, um, is Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. And he, is, he breaks down like, what did the first listeners of this gospel hear? What was the early church thinking when they were talking about what salvation was? And one thing that he does really well is he breaks down how much of our imagery around hell comes from Plato and Greek mythology and our culture's like evolution of all those things and not from scripture. And we think it's from scripture and it's not. Um, so here's the second thing. Let's try this exercise. The story of the Bible is about heaven and... Anyone? If we're going to summarize the story of the Bible, tells us about heaven and... Earth. This is what I love about South Harbor. You guys are so good. The other impulse we might have is to say, it's about heaven and hell. But of course, you good South Harbor people know, the Bible doesn't tell us much about hell. We get to know that God is committed to the world, that God is committed to getting the hell and experiences of hells out of earth, somewhere else, and it's very light on the details. But the Bible begins telling us about God created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus tells us to pray for the kingdom to come on heaven and on earth as it is in heaven. This is the story. It's the story about the interactions between the two, about heaven coming to earth, about Jesus coming to establish the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God on earth. And you and I both know have experienced, and scripture tells us, that when we look at a parable like this and we are tempted to ask ourselves, like, eh, am I weed or wheat? That the answer is yes. We have the seeds of the kingdom of heaven in us, and they're growing alongside the seeds of the evil one, of the enemy. You and I have divided and mixed hearts. And the story of scripture and the gospel that Matthew is presenting to us is saying, you need someone outside of yourself to fix this. You need salvation to come from outside of what you're capable of doing. You need something outside of yourself to set the world right. And that person, it's Jesus. The salvation you need, what this world needs to set itself right, is Jesus. We cannot do it on our own. And on any given day, you and I look more like weeds than we look like wheat. And we need Jesus. So we come back to that question, what do we see when we look at Jesus? Are we threatened by it? Do we see it as good news? So I want to make just a couple notes, some observations about what's going on in this parable. First, we'll just start with what, what are they, what's um, Jesus referring to here? So I've got this picture here of the weeds and the wheat. And you can see wheat is on the left here, and the weeds that he's referring to are on the right. And they look very similar, especially in early stages. They sprout up, and it's really hard to tell the difference. So when he's saying, you might pull up the wrong thing, <laughs> he they, this would like click for them. Like, yes, that weed, which we also call false wheat, um, it looks the same. It's hard to tell the difference. And 
you know, where wheat would nourish you, false wheat makes you feel kind of funny, actually a little tipsy, and too much of it will kill you. It can be poisonous. So this is what we're talking about. And the first observation I want to make is Jesus does not trust the servants to make this judgment call. (laughs) Jesus is not let, they want this job like, hey, let's go pull up the weeds. And Jesus is like, no, no, that, that is not your job. You're not going to do a good job of that. Um, I think this is a role that we as Christians and followers of Christ like to take on. Like, hey, that's kingdom, God's kingdom. This is not God's kingdom. We're really good judges of this. I mean, the people who killed Jesus, that they thought he was weed, right? This is something that followers of Jesus, religious people, they do. They like to be the one who makes this judgment call. And Jesus says, no, this is not your call. This, this is you, your job, grow wheat. That's your job. I know, yep, there's weeds. It's not your job to go out and uproot it all. That's my job. I'll take care of that. You, you grow wheat. And just because when you're in a parable, it's kind of hard to like say, like, what, what are we talking about here? What are we talking about when we talk about wheat? The kingdom of God, chapter five, six, and seven. What does it look like to grow wheat? To uh, go out and bring the people who have been pushed to the outskirts, bring them to the center, to bring hope to people who are hopeless, to care for people who've been beat up by the kingdoms of this world. That's what it looks like to grow wheat. So... That, that's the invitation that we have here. Second observation I want to make is there's waiting involved. So the servants are really antsy, like, let's, let's tear this weed up, or the, let's tear these weeds up. But Jesus is like, nope, we're going to wait. We're going to just let them grow together. Which means, Jesus doesn't want us to be unaware, it means as, as the kingdom of God is growing in this world, we're also going to have violence and war and disease and jealousy and loneliness and depression. Look around this world. It is full of weeds and wheat growing alongside one another. And Jesus is saying it will not always be this way, but it will be this way for a while. There's waiting involved. Third option, observation I want to make is who plants the seeds of the wheat? Jesus, the son of man, his favorite term for himself. Jesus plants the seeds. And our job is not to pull up the weeds. Our job is not to harvest What's the invitation for us? We didn't plant it. Where are we in this whole scenario? What are we invited to? When it comes to the kingdom, scripture tells us we experience it, we enter it. We don't bring it. We didn't plant it. With or without us, it's coming. It's being built. We couldn't stop it if we wanted to. Our invitation is to experience it, and enter it. And final observation I want to make is God is going to win. 
at the end of the age, all of that, the weeds that we see, the violence, the war, the kingdoms that we think are thriving on this earth are going to lose. That's what the, the, the surprising hope of this parable. And we're told, just imagine this. No violence, no loneliness, no loss. We're told this is the place where there'll be no more tears. Um, we're promised in 1 Corinthians 9, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, what Christ has for those who love him. That is where the future is headed. We can't even imagine it. And that is the best possible news. But you and I, to know whether that's good news for us, we have to wrestle with that question. What do we see when we look at Jesus? And before I leave you with that, I want to give you one more thing to consider. A few years ago, I was hearing all these stories coming out of parts of the world um, where it's illegal to preach about Jesus, where it's um, illegal to have a Bible. You can't preach Jesus as king. You can't preach Jesus as savior. That's not okay. Um, You can die for that. But there was this fascinating thing that missionaries and Christians in those parts of the world were seeing is that people were starting to have dreams of Jesus. In the last 20 years, it was like exponentially growing, where more and more people were coming to them and saying, I had a dream of Jesus, and he told me, you can tell me about him. And it was happening so much that people started to write these stories down. And they were like, what is happening? It was kind of like, if no one else can introduce Jesus to these people, Jesus is going to go himself. And I started reading these stories, just hundreds of these stories, and I would challenge you, if you read these stories, you will be unable to convince yourself that God is not at work in the world, that God is not actively involved. And I want to read you part of just one of them, because I started to see this trend that caught me off guard, not sure why, but I started to see this trend that everybody who had a dream of Jesus, the main thing they talked about is how they felt when they were with Jesus. It was the through line of every single story. And it was because of how they felt when they were with Jesus that made them do all the things that they did, that put their lives at risk. Some of them lost their lives for this. And how they felt was just deeply loved. There's this one woman that describes it. She, her name is Noor, and she met, she found a man named Kamal in the marketplace who's a Christian. And she came up to him and she said, you were in my dream last night. Jesus told me you can help me know who Jesus is. And she said this, Jesus walked with me alongside a lake and he told me how much he loves me. The woman in black told Kamal details of the vivid dream she had had the night before their meeting. She said, I think my husband loved me at one time, but that love I felt in the dream, his love was different than anything I've ever experienced. I've never felt so much peace in my heart. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want him to leave. I asked Jesus, why are you visiting me, a poor Muslim mother with eight children? And all he said was, I love you, Noor. I have given everything for you. I died for you. And he goes on to explain to her who Jesus is and what it means to become part of the kingdom of God. And Noor says this, 
He is much more than I thought he was. I've never been loved like I was when Jesus walked with me in that dream. I felt no fear. For the first time in my life, I felt no shame. Even though he's a man, I wasn't intimidated. I didn't feel threatened. I felt perfect peace. If you follow Jesus long enough, you will be offended by him. He'll ask you to give up parts of your kingdom. He'll reveal things in you you'd rather not look at. But there is no one who loves you more. There is no one more committed to your thriving than Jesus. And that is the irony of the kingdoms. Jesus knows that the kingdoms we're building, that we spend a lot of time on, they do not satisfy. They will not meet our needs. They will leave us ultimately empty. And Jesus is inviting us to experience the kingdom of God right now where we live in this world. He's inviting us to enter the kingdom of God because he loves us that much. And that is the best possible news. At South Harbor, we talk about next steps. What's your next step? Um, So I just want to offer you two potential next steps before I close. Um, One, I would just like encourage you to sit down with Matthew this week. We're in this study. We've been in the study. We're going to continue to be in this study. Sit down and read it in its entirety and hold out these questions. What do I see when I look at Jesus? And where is God inviting me to enter the kingdom that God is building? The second step I would offer is to bring those questions to your prayer life. Find a time that you can sit and calm your heart and calm your mind and just ask, God, who are you? Jesus, who are you? And where are you inviting me to enter your kingdom? Please pray with me. Father God, You are a good, good father. And you love us so much that you do not let us stay where we are, building our own little kingdoms and missing the gloriousness of this life that you want to invite us into. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage and the trust to follow you to leave behind the things that are hard to leave behind because we know you are offering us so much more. Lord, we thank you that you continue to build your kingdom in our midst and that is where all of creation is headed. We pray that we would take that with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. 
And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you 